arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway and as you see, perfectly harmless looking when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. This motel also has as an adjunct an old house, which is, if I may say so, a little more sinister looking, less innocent than the motel itself. And in this house, the most dire, horrible events took place. I think we can go inside because the place is up for sale, although I don't know who's going to buy it now. In that window on the second floor, the single one in front, that's where the woman was first seen. Let's go inside. You see, even in daylight, this place still looks a bit sinister. Now, it was at the top of these stairs that the second murder took place. She came out of the door there and met the victim at the top. Of course, in a flash, there was the knife, and in no time, the victim tumbled and fell with a horrible crash. I think the bat broke immediately and hit the floor. It was, it's difficult to describe the way that the, the, the twisting of the, of the, well, I, it's, uh, I won't dwell upon it, let, let, come upstairs. Of course, the victim, or should I say victims, hadn't any conception as to the type of people they would be confronted with in this house, especially the woman. She was the weirdest and the most, well, well let's go into her bedroom. Here's the woman's room, still beautifully preserved. And the imprint of her figure on the bed where she used to lay. I think some of her clothes are still in this wardrobe. was the son's room, but uh, we won't go in there because his favorite spot was the little 
parlor behind his office in the motel. Let's go down there. This young man, you had to feel sorry for him. After all, being dominated by an almost maniacal woman was enough to drive anyone to the extreme of, uh, uh, well, let's go in. Well, I suppose you'd call this his hideaway. His hobby, as you see, was taxidermy. Crow here, an owl there. Now, an important scene took place in this room. There was a private supper here. And, uh, oh, by the way, this picture has great significance because... Uh, let's go along to cabin number one. I want to show you something there. Tied it up. The bathroom. Well, they've cleaned all this up now. Big difference. You should have seen the blood. The whole, the whole place was. Well, it's, it's too horrible to describe. Dreadful. And I'll tell you, there's a very important clue was found here. Down there. Well, the murderer, you see, crept in here. Very slowly, of course, the shower was on. There was no sound. And... Uh, Although I had planned to edit Alfred Hitchcock's remarks in the 1960 theatrical trailer for Psycho, he was just too good to go to the chopping block, which is more than I can say for the victims at the Bates Motel. Back along the Chesapeake, Kel makes headway in his investigation of Sue Lee, but then everything falls apart. Mary Ellen has confirmation that the Mustang was in her development in Pennsylvania at the same time period where Sue Lee was in Maryland. And Kel and Mary Ellen have their theories about Tony's ladder. Adding to the calamity, the beach house slider glass has been blown apart by a bullet. We now begin episode three of Beach House by Robert P. Fitton, starting now. Beach House by R.P. Fitton, chapter 15. Kel believed that somebody was following him when he drove over the metal plate, separating the ferry and the asphalt at the eastern shore of the bay. For 45 minutes up the Delaware Highway, a maroon van with special tinted windows and a high bubble roof maintained a marked distance behind him. He had seen everyone on that ferry and talked to some of the people on the upper deck. Neither Sue Lee or the van were on the ferry. He slowed at the traffic light outside of Harriman, banked left onto Grove Street, and immediately checked the rear mirror. The road's concrete slab dipped for over a mile, along open fields and telephone lines, but he did not see the van. 
He checked the mailboxes and the numbers on the houses, and then spotted the name stenciled on the black mailbox. A woman, probably Mrs. Bates, stooped over a flower bed along her split-level ranch. Holding a long, yellow trowel in her hand, she looked up when Kel swung into the driveway. The expression on her round, smooth face reflected a sober concern. She flipped off her work gloves and stood. Kel leaned out the window. Mrs. Bates? I am she. He opened the door and stepped outside with his clipboard. Thank you for meeting with me. Uh, I'm Walter Kelly. She squeezed Kel's extended hand and then wiped the sweat off her brow with a thin, red handkerchief. Her blue eyes looked skyward as she spoke. After a few preliminary words about Kel's trip over on the ferry, she launched into her relationship with her late husband. Roger and I met, uh, we met each other in high school. He never gave me a bad day. She tightened her brow. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I think so, said Kel, glancing down the highway for the maroon van. I refuse to believe the rumors about him and that Japanese woman. Actually, uh, she was born here. She's Korean. Doesn't concern me and what I'm doing to prove any relationship between your husband and Sue Lee. What I'm interested in are those car ramps he used. I have the ramps in the cellar. Sure, I want to see them. Okay, come with me. They were the last thing that Roger was involved in when he was alive. Can I get you an iced tea or Coke? Sure, iced tea is fine. Ah, I'm sweating like crazy. It's hot out here. Kel could smell asphalt sealer on the newly coated driveway as he followed her under the shady trees to a louvered porch door. She opened the door and he moved into a cooler breezeway with thin, knotty pine walls. He peered out the window as she opened the old avocado refrigerator and removed a bulbous iced tea pitcher. The ice cubes rattled as she poured the tea into two flowered glasses. You know, Roger and I... Brought the kids to Binghamton Beach to swim and have a good time. I never imagined he would die there. She handed the cool glass to Cal. Thanks. I've thought about this over and over. I've checked the ramps myself. They're solid. He must have driven the car over the side of the lip. She motioned him into a hallway door across from a wall phone. Roger was very meticulous and he knew cars. He cleaned his tools and ramps every time he used them. A very neat man. For him to drive the car off the ramps and leave the car on the edge of the ramp lip makes no sense. She creaked open the door, pushed the cellar light button upward, and Kel moved with her down the wooden stairway. A dehumidifier hummed below a series of white fluorescent tubes. She led him onto a red painted cement floor, past metal shelves, and a long, well-worn workbench with covered paint drips. In the darkened corner, under a blue tarp, the edges of the yellow car ramps protruded onto the cement. Well, I'm glad you kept the ramps. They're yours now, Mr. Kelly. You're the answer to my prayers. I don't have the money with three kids in college to be hiring a private investigator. I understand. She pulled the overhead bulb cord, illuminating the corner. Kel helped her unfurl the tarps, and he dragged the piggyback ramps over the cement. He separated the ramps and let them sit side by side under the light. If the car fell off the ramp, wouldn't the ramp have flipped over and banged against the garage floor? 
Yes, that's exactly what I thought. Look for yourself. Do you see any scrapes? Cal squatted and put on his bifocals and then leaned the ramps back. The only thing I see is the spot where the ramps were placed on top of each other here. He stood again and stroked his chin. You know, it's almost like the car was on another ramp. I don't understand. I'm just speculating, but maybe I shouldn't until I check it out. What if somebody placed an unsafe ramp with the second ramp? Now, Lord knows how you make steel unstable. I don't know. But suppose the ramp collapses. Roger was working underneath and the car fell on him. Somebody comes in, removes the bad ramp, and places the old ramp on its side next to the car. Perfect. With her eyes set on the ramps, Mrs. Bates shuffled forward. Yes, yes. Why would anyone question that scenario? They wouldn't. That's exactly what it is, a scenario. Oh, you can argue that the scrapes on the ramp might be caused by the car collapsing. I think that's what happened, but there's a way to prove it. How is that? With her eyes set on the ramps, Mrs. Bates shuffled forward. You said your husband was meticulous. If he cleaned the ramps from the day before, if a new ramp was substituted, only one of those ramps would still bear a full tire impression. The other would be clean. You should be in law enforcement, Mr. Kelly. Kel tucked his glasses back in the case. I was. Listen, let me take these things back to my trailer in Binghamton Beach. I'll run the test. Finding tire treads in a smooth surface won't take long. The ramps rattled as Kel chugged down the highway. For 15 minutes, he debated what he would do with his newfound evidence as he surveyed the rural road in the rearview mirror. No doubt existed. Sue Lee caused a separate ramp to collapse. At first, he thought the weakening steel required heating, but heating would have destroyed the paint. Pinpointing the actual structural weakness by applying acid might work. Yet he wondered whether she could have controlled the exact amount of acid. A better explanation, he thought, as the blue and white sign for the ferry appeared in the field to his right, would be placing a saw blade on the underbelly of the ramp and gnaw away at the structural integrity. A simple straight line, precisely burrowed, would easily cause the metal to falter under the car's weight. Fifteen miles. He passed the ferry sign with a blue outline of a boat on the water. But how could he blame Sue Lee for the accident? She would have ditched the newly purchased ramp, and the old sabotaged ramp. He stared at the two ramps in the back seat. The ramps would contain fingerprints if she hadn't worn gloves. He didn't put much credence in Sue Lee being callous. A subtle thumping behind Kel's inner tire developed into a bumpy, repeating thud. As he approached a long stretch of farmland, his little car was impossible to control and he pulled onto the gravel shoulder. He looked back in the side mirror, as a behemoth truck careened down the highway and the surrounding air jostled his car as it passed. Then he thrust open the door and ran around back. The dust-coated rear tire was deflated and crushed on the dirt. Damn. Kel took one step toward the trunk and stopped. He looked down at the convoluted rubber mass and immediately suspected her. With no sign of the maroon van, he moved around the car and opened up the front door. He pulled open the hood latch and thrust up the hood. Then he shook his head as he went to recover the jack and the lug nut wrench. Once before he had to change a tire on this car, but that flat occurred overnight in front of his trailer. He reached forward above the front tire housing and behind the radiator. 
The jack was in place, but the lug nut wrench was missing. He gripped the jack and checked around below. Quickly, he slammed the hood, put his hands on his hips, and looked around the road and fields. Sue Lee had it figured out. She knew he was going to Delaware to visit Mrs. Bates, and she got under the hood. The rest was easy, he thought, taking off his sweat-lined cap. He opened his glove compartment, but his cell phone was gone. Now he had to get to a public phone and call somebody to fix the tire. He popped the trunk and hauled out each ramp from the back seat and placed them safely next to his golf clubs. He checked his watch. It was still possible he could be back in Binghamton Beach by evening. He didn't say much to the tow truck driver. Hiking two and a half miles to a payphone had stiffened his legs and aggravated an old ankle injury from 20 years ago. He marveled at Sue Lee's planning and her ability to creep behind the scenes. Kel pressed his lips as they crested the hill and spotted his car along the field-lined slope ahead. Can I ask you something? Shoot! You're obviously mechanical. I had a guy I knew very well, and he died. Oh, sorry. Thanks. My question involves sabotaging a ladder. You know, the kind that you'd use to paint a house, aluminum? I think the guy was murdered. How would you... The kid raised his finger. Well, the rungs or the uh, side supports are where the rungs fit. You'd have to loosen the rungs and maybe hack off the supports or rivets underneath. Kel nodded as they approached the car, and the tow truck's loud warning beep sounded. You a cop? Was. So your friend fell. The kid left the motor running, and they both moved outside. Snapped his neck. He eyed the flat tire, convinced they would find a nail or screw embedded in the rubber. Kid worked quickly, loosened the lug nuts, and raised the compact with ease. He successfully removed the lug nuts and asked Kel for the trunk keys. Kel fished the keys from his pocket and pinched the trunk key between his fingers. The kid took the key, but as the kid inserted the key, Kel was taken by a spreading malaise. The lock clicked and the kid raised the trunk. His golf clubs were exactly where he had left them, but the ramps were gone. Son of a bitch. What's the matter? Kel rushed around the trunk and stepped across a mass of glass chunks. He leaned inside the broken side window. The rear seat was pulled aside, exposing a clearance to the trunk. She had dragged the ramps into the back seat and had safely driven away. He stood upright. Her going to the ferry was just too blatant. Kel turned back to the highway as the kid pulled the spare tire from the trunk. The road stretched out like veins under his skin. Trying to track Sue Lee around the bay could take hours. Ain't nothing in this tire but a puncture hole. Right, of course, neat and clean. Kel closed his eyes and hurled his cap to the ground. He looked up the highway, but he couldn't stop shaking his head. His first and only piece of evidence linking Sue Lee to Trombley's death was now gone. He had underestimated her, and he wouldn't make such a faulty judgment again. Chapter 16 at the end of the dock, Mary Ellen locked her arms around her navy windbreaker. Kel leaned on the incoming ferry's deck railing. In the cooling twilight breezes, she waved in slow motion as he raised his right hand. A certain security soothed her beleaguered soul upon seeing his silver hair curled around his orange and black baseball cap. The massive ferry's low-pitched horn resonated throughout the marina, and the water gushed and sloshed around the wood dock as the inflatable rubber-side bumpers 
guided into docking position. She wandered along the boat as Kel shouted from above, Why did you come back here, Mary Ellen? I had to come back. The boat rocked into place. I just don't think it's a good idea. He moved a few steps back so he was directly above her. How did you know I'd be on the ferry? You left word with the Hazleton office. When I didn't find you at your trailer, I called the office. Very clever, but you need to get back to Pennsylvania. No, I need to come back, and I have to find the truth. She pictured the bright flowers cascading over Tony's grave. I need to prove she did it. Oh, she did it all right, said Kel. How do you know this? I have to get my car and I'll explain. I don't think you know who you're dealing with here. If she did it, I want justice. Stay right there. Don't move. I'm getting my car out and I'll be with you ASAP. Mary Ellen folded her arms across the windbreaker again. She was convinced as she peered into the murky water, reflecting the overhead halogens, that Kel had found some new information. Lights twinkled across the bay and along the shore. She thought about Tony as she gazed upward at the distant stars. In her deepest longings, she sensed Tony wanted the truth to come out. She handed Kel a cup of coffee from the Marina Bagel Shop. What was so important in Delaware? Kel sipped on the coffee, but his eyes moved like a surveillance camera. Listen, can you just trust what I'm saying? I don't think you should be back here. Where are the kids? Kids are with my sister in the Berkshires. Massachusetts, Kel. Kel, you're starting to make me nervous. You didn't call her again, did you? Nope. Kel scratched his neck and took in more coffee. I went to Delaware to talk with Mrs. Bates about Trombley's car ramps. How did you make out? Kel stared at her. Not good. I figured out what Sue Lee did, and I think it relates to Tony's death. See? I think she bought another set of identical ramps. She substituted a new ramp, but it wasn't the same. You mean she rigged it to break? Exactly. And when the car fell on Trombley, she brought in the first ramp and tipped it over. I saw the ramps. There were scratches, but nothing like you'd expect. If a car weighing several thousand pounds flips the thing onto the cement. He lifted the coffee to his mouth and again surveyed the dock. She gets the new ramp out there and everyone thinks that the car fell on Trombley. So damn clever. You need to get those ramps. That's a whole other story. Mrs. Bates gave me the ramps. You have them? asked Mary Ellen. That's why I suggest you go back to the Berkshires with your kids. Besides, some maroon band was following me up the state highway. And on the way back, my tire went flat in the middle of nowhere. I placed the ramps in the trunk. I locked it. When I came back, the side window was broken. Back seat pulled back, and the stupid ramps were gone. All I wanted to do was find a tire tread on the first ramp, but none on the second. Sue Lee. No doubt about it. I checked every inch of this ferry, and I couldn't find her or the van. She's not going down easily, and I'm telling you, she switched Tony's ladder with the one that was wrecked, and then got that ladder the hell away from the beach house. She put the other one back up against the house. Voila, we have an accident. Mary Ellen's anger, though contained, swirled inside. Okay, then the ladder must be somewhere near the beach house. Who the hell knows? Well, it's bulky, 
said Mary Ellen. She's in great shape. That ladder is long gone, believe me. You're wrong. Why am I wrong? I don't doubt that she could lug the thing around, but think about it, Kel. Wouldn't somebody have seen her transporting that thing around town? Kel frowned and shook his head. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe the ladder is around, but where did she buy it? We'll find out. We won't find out anything because you're going back home, said Kel. No, I'm not. Don't be foolish. She's killed and she'll kill again. He chucked the cup in the trash bin. Can't let you stay here. You can't stop me either. No, I can't. Mary Ellen sat in the front seat as Kel drove the Escalade into Barnacle Bill's parking lot. Her stomach tensed when she thought about confronting Sue Lee. Kel, now wearing a shoulder strap and pistol under his jacket, circled the restaurant. As they neared the dumpster, Kel banged the dash. The orange sports car was parked parallel to the red dumpster. Oh, man, I thought you said she was in Delaware. She was. It had to be her in the van. Unless she has accomplices, said Mary Ellen as he shut off the car. No way. Kel opened the door but didn't shut it. He walked around the Mustang and put his hand on the hood. What are you doing? Engine's a little hot. This thing hasn't been sitting here all day. He looked inside the driver's window and moseyed back to Mary Ellen. You know, the earlier ferry was at four. I got into my car with the tow truck driver at twenty past four. She sure as hell didn't make the ferry and she didn't drive around the Chesapeake. Nor did she necessarily have to go to Binghamton Beach. Other ferries go to other towns. Right. Where did she get the van is my question. Rental? Possible, he said, getting back in the car. Aren't we going inside? No. That's what she's expecting. She wants me going in and wondering how the hell she could be in two places at once. I don't know where that van is, and I don't know how she got it, but the ramps are gone. She is so damned clever. Kel backed up the car. Mary Ellen was just as happy not to go inside and see the woman who probably killed her husband. Kel pulled around the building and started down the slope back toward the street. In her mind, she walked the property around the beach house. Sue Lee might have easily stashed that ladder in the scrub brushes for several hours before making the switch. Just enough to not have Tony question which ladder was leaning against the house. When Tony met Mary Ellen at the beach, the timing was perfect for Sue Lee to transport the ladder up the dock trail and lean it against the house. Tony's original ladder was placed nearby. When Tony returned, climbed the ladder again, it snapped or bent 40-plus feet above the house. He never had a chance. You know what I'm thinking? Asked Kel as he drove along Main Street. About the ladder? Yep. I think she brought it in by night. She could have sailed in from anywhere on the bay. But where did she store it? Asked Mary Ellen. I don't know. Don't bring me to the trailer. Why not? I'm sleeping downstairs at the beach house. I don't trust her. Till we have something credible for the cops, we'll have to handle this on our own. She probably has already anticipated my next move. And what might that be? Finding the ladder. But I don't know where to look. She wouldn't buy it in town. Maybe she already has her own moves in place. One big chess game, he said, looking out the window toward the marina docks. I'm going down to the police station tomorrow morning. I'm going to see if I can convince these clowns to start looking into this before it's too late. Chapter 17 
The baseball game blasted from the countertop radio. She knew spending the night in the beach house's master bedroom would bring back thoughts of Night Sin and Sue Lee. Maybe she would sleep on the third floor. Cal poured more beer from the amber bottle into his glass and the suds rose to the top. This game she's been playing is well calculated and she never flinches. She's elusive. I've only spoken to her that one time when she pushed me in the beach parking lot. In my career, I met thousands of people. Little old ladies, naive and bubbly. I met the hardened criminals who would blow you away if you looked at them funny. Guys who were certifiably nuts, and they'd come at you with both fists swinging. How many years were you on the force? Forty-three. My wife was a very tolerant woman. What was her name? Kel smiled and his eyes brightened. Margaret. Margie. Margie just seemed to accept it. But you know, she must have worried. I'm sure it's one of those things you just carry around with you. You know there could be a tragedy, but you file it away because there's nothing you can do about it. Margie never made it to Binghamton Beach. She and I used to travel down here years ago and stay at a cottage for a week. She would have liked it here. His eyes swung toward Mary Ellen. Unbelievable. She just had a heart attack and died. You have kids? My son is in the Peace Corps, South America. Harry's a good boy. We talk regularly. He's due back next month. I think he might be home to stay. Might work in Washington, which would be good. You miss him? Yeah. Kel stood and brought the beer bottle over to the wastebasket. She never bothered to tell him about the glass recycling bin, and he dropped the bottle in the basket. Listen, uh, maybe it's time to get some shut-eye. How are you going to nail her, Kel? Kel remained in the dim light near the wastebasket. I don't count on her making a blatant mistake. Look how she handled the ramps. She must be constantly thinking. Always plotting about what she's going to do. She figured out how to get over there, get the van, and that flat tire stunt was brilliant. Then she stole my cell phone. Damn. I underestimated her. I would have carried those ramps up the highway to the payphone. And then she gets back to Binghamton Beach to get on for the night shift. He shook his head and he walked into the light near the kitchen table. And the thing is, Mary Ellen, when you talk to her, she's so alluring, so charming. Just like the poker player, she never reveals what she's up to. How do you outmaneuver a good poker player, Kel? Play equally as well, and hope you get lucky. Mary Ellen stretched out on the family's pull-out couch, reserved for company and kids' friends. She pulled up the blanket and positioned herself so she could see Kel asleep under the quilt on the great room sofa. The mantel clock's chimes were shut off, but the Roman numerals were evident from the reflected moonlight through the kitchen sliders. Two in the morning was a miserable time. The longing for Tony stirred her stomach, and she sat up. So many times she and Tony had entered the beach house through the huge paneled front door. He had wanted a metal thermal door, while she left the more aesthetically pleasing natural entrance in place. Leaving the spreading, crystalline chandelier over the foyer was also her idea. Tony always stated his position strongly, but then would back off and let her have her way every time. She smiled a sad smile. Somewhere in the midst of their busy lives, she never appreciated the way he had yielded. Cal made an odd nasal noise as he turned on the couch. 
She grinned but was relieved that he was here and armed. Su Lee's cleverness and her bold actions were both overwhelming and awesome. Mary Ellen visualized lugging the ladder up to the garage. Trying to find out where she bought a second ladder might never be possible. Her amazing ability not only to think about sabotage, but actually carry it out mechanically was even more astonishing. Again, she leaned back on the pillow and stared at the full moon shining through the glowing blinds. Kel would speak to the cops in the morning and then follow Sue Lee later. She thought about her kids up in the Berkshires. Coming to Binghamton Beach on a whim denied them their mother when they had just lost their father. Five hours ago, both girls cried on the phone extensions and Mary Ellen promised to fly back up there tomorrow night. Her eyes slowly closed and her body wound down. In the half-conscious realm, she could almost believe that Tony was still alive. She could pretend that he never had the affair with Sue Lee, and she could believe that she was younger and the world was right. The slider glass exploded and something splinted through the cherrywood coffee table. Kel rolled on his belly and audited her on the floor. With little concern for his own safety, he held his gun and crawled on the floor to the kitchen. Kel! She's going to kill us all, cried Mary Ellen, spread on the Berber rug with her hands over her head. Oh, my God. Somehow she flipped on the outside spotlights, and the bright light filtered through a massive hole in the kitchen sliders. With his gun in the air, he pushed up the light switches, and the entire yard was brighter in the moonlight. Stay down, Mary Ellen. Stay down. She's out there. She's going to kill us. Sully. He shouted through the broken glass. I know you're out there. The wind whizzed through the hole. Mary Ellen remained rigid on the rug. Kel ran forward and helped her up. We're going to prove this. How? She asked. Out to the Escalade. The Escalade? Why? She has to go back to the condo. We take the cell phone and the Escalade and we nail her with the cops. Okay, all right. He led the way to the garage and she chucked the keys to him. Once she was inside, he started the engine and opened up the garage door. He backed out quickly across the gravel and into the street. Mary Ellen gripped the side handle as he skidded down the road. Dial 911. She punched in the digits, then handed the phone to Kel as he raced out of Hazleton toward Main Street. I think she came in by water, probably down by the beach. Then she'd be on the beach right now, said Mary Ellen. She could be anywhere along the beach, said Kel, holding the wheel as he held the phone. Yes, I have an emergency situation. Binghamton Beach, Hazleton, 16 Durango Drive. Rifle bullets through the slider. No, I'm a retired cop. Suspect is a young woman named Sue Lee, Northgate Condominiums, Condo 42B, Building 2, Binghamton Beach. We're headed out there now. No, she may be on Binghamton Beach. Sure, no, we'll stay back. He set the phone back in her hand. They're calling Binghamton now and they're sending out state cruisers. To the beach too? Yep, my bet is she's already in her car. Kel veered away from a few stray cars parked along the shore as Mary Ellen scanned the beach through the back window. We can catch her when she gets back to the condos. I don't know. She looked at the car clock's green digits. 2.15 in the morning. She was aiming for me, Kel. That bullet hit the coffee table. Kel started out of town. The bullet hit? Yes, I heard the wood crack. Good, a piece of physical evidence. I bet it was an automatic weapon. It sure sounded like an AK-47. 
I wonder if the slug matches the one found in Latrobe's body in Vermont. Well, that was years ago. She almost got you in the low light. She sniped at Latrobe and killed him. You don't shoot like that without having been trained. How do you find that out? She asked. The sign for the condos appeared around the bend. You check local gun clubs, her background, people at Barnacle Bills. Kel's sneaker slapped the brake pedal and he stopped at the corner. He moved forward and slowed at the speed bump and then moved along the unpainted clapboard buildings. A series of garages paralleled the condo building, but Kel turned right. Why here? We wait over here. He rolled into the lot and swung the escalator around. Then he backed up and shut off the engine and the lights. Do you think she's in there? No, but I think she'll be back. He pointed upward. Third apartment from the end, ground level. They have to listen to us now, Kel. They have to. That woman tried to kill me. Mary Ellen watched the police cruiser silently without the lights flashing round the corner. Kel started the escalator and tapped the light switch. The cruiser stopped and he quickly drove out to the main condo road. The blonde cop from Tony's accident stepped from the cruiser. Is she here, Kel? We've been here 15 minutes, Butch, said Kel. She never pulled in. She's not here. Why do you think she fired at your house, Mrs. Fresco? Because I think she killed my husband. He looked back at his partner. Did either of you see her out at the house, or did she threaten you? She broke in the damned house, said Kel. Oh, well, we think she did. Kel, well, I may believe you. Hawkins has this thing about you being let go in Buffalo. You just don't have any credibility with him. Roger Tromley was killed, and so was Mr. Rankin. But did you see her fire a weapon at the house in Hazleton? asked Butch. Butch, the slider is shattered. There's a slug in the coffee table. But you didn't see her, did you, Cal? I don't even know if we should go in there. Well, don't bother. She's not there. Well, if she is there, she couldn't have fired at the house. Cal chuckled and shrugged his shoulders. Fine. Butch got out of the cruiser and shut the door. His partner brought the cruiser into Sue Lee's lot. The taillights came on and they parked near the courtyard. Kel, said Mary Ellen, leaning over. What if she is in there? No way. You're talking maybe two minutes before we headed out on the road. Even if she had her car, we would have seen her. Better check the car, like you did before. Butch and his partner moved up the walkway toward the common hallway door. He opened the door, but his partner lingered in front of the unit buzzers. Mary Ellen's heart beat quickly as she leaned against the vinyl seat. There has to be a way to prove this. She looked up when Sue Lee's condo lights illuminated the drapes. Oh, no. How can she be in there? Kel's nose crunched up and he pushed his teeth together. He elbowed through the open door and started across the lot toward Butch. Mary Ellen pulled up the door handle and trailed him. Kel reached Butch at the door. Butchy. She's in there, Kel said Butch. Get back. Mary Ellen bolted with Kel for the garage. I'm beginning to think she's invincible. He grabbed the garage door handle and raised the door upward. Why would she leave this door unlocked unless she was rushing? Mary Ellen ran up and put her hands next to Kel's hands on the cold hood. The car wasn't used. With an incredulous look on his face, Kel stuck his hands on the car, and for a few moments he couldn't speak as he looked around the bare plaster garage walls. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she didn't do it. Maybe there's somebody else. Chapter 18 
Hawkins' desk chair creaked when he leaned back and folded his hands on his navy tie. He shook his head. Mary Ellen remained in the doorway as Kel raised both arms. Hawk, what more do you want? Kelly, the woman was asleep in her bed. Does a woman have a record? That is the only question I want to know. <laughs> Did Lizzie Borden have a record? What about the ramps? asked Mary Ellen. Somebody took those ramps. They broke into your car, Kelly. That's a fact. That shot in the beach house is a fact. But that's it. You're linking it all together. And all this talk about Roger Trombley and Rankin? Come on! I want that bullet compared to the bullet that killed Latrobe, said Kell as he walked up to the desk. You'll find it was fired from the same weapon. Yeah, and on what basis do I order that? Kell pinched the bridge of his nose and Hawkins pointed at Mary Ellen. This is Fresco. I want you back with your kids. Why do you want me to go back if she's innocent? Because somebody fired at your house. Listen, I'm getting damn sick of this, said Hawkins, banging the desk. I have people who saw Sue Lee with all these men, replied Kell. Kelly, he said as he stood. I know retirement must be boring. Cut the bullshit, Hawk. I came up here to fish and to relax. I don't need this. He looked over at Mary Ellen. Her husband is dead because of a switched ladder. Hawkins exhaled and slowly yawned. Kelly, I think you're doing everything you can to redeem yourself because of your being canned up in Buffalo. I was right then and I'm right now. I didn't have the evidence. Hey, sounds like a familiar story, said Hawkins. You go ahead and you do your things. Just don't cross the line. I will, but I'm not giving up on this. He stepped closer. You're wrong, and I'm going to prove you wrong. With a flick of his head, he motioned Mary Ellen outside. She glanced at Hawkins and Butch in the corner and then headed into the corridor behind Kel. He held the water fountain and slurped the water into his mouth. Then he wiped his chin. I don't blame him. They started down the corridor. What happened in Buffalo? Kel's eyes moistened. Drive-by. I had the kid. Seventeen years old and he blew away a three-year-old kid. Witnesses were vague, but this guy was bragging about it. I went in on the basis of what he was saying, but nobody came forward to verify he was in the truck and fired the gun. The little girl is dead. His voice softened and shook. They let the bastard out and he killed again. Now he's locked up, but he's eligible for parole in three years. Unbelievable. Who are we protecting? I'm sorry, Kel she said, holding his wrist. Hawkins won't help us. Nope, and we have proof. You and I both know she fired the gun. She could have gotten back by bike, ditched the bike, and entered the condo through the front. She never used the car. Perfect. We just assumed she was going to be at the condo. I have to change my attitude. Just like the ramps, I assumed again it was an either-or situation. Either drive around the bay or take my ferry. But she took the third alternative, just like she did last night. Mary Ellen opened the door and squinted as she scanned toward the shore. I don't want to go. You have to go. What difference does it make, Kel? She asked. If she wants to kill me, Kel, she can kill me in Tuppersbury. 
He walked across the asphalt, stroked his chin, and turned in slow motion. You're right, but I don't want you out of my sight. And you keep those kids in the Berkshires with your sister. Agreed, but how are we going to find the truth? Let's get some lunch. I have a few ideas. Cal rested his silver pen on the yellow line pad. Between dissecting the bacon, eggs, and hash browns on his plate, he studied copious pages of scribbled notes through his reading glasses. First, we start with the hardware stores. Why even try the hardware stores around here? asked Mary Ellen, gently cutting into her bagel and cream cheese. She wouldn't be that stupid. Cal thought for a moment. The one thing I've noticed about her is she bucks the obvious. We need to check every place from here to Walla Walla who sold Aberdeen ladders. Is that the name of the ladder? Yeah. I wrote it down after the accident. The company is in Tennessee. They all have little orange plaid stickers on them. I'm sure they have a master list of distribution, but trying to obtain that list will be next to impossible. I'm afraid she's going to strike again. Kel held the pad and peered over his reading glasses. No, I'm sure I've thought about that. She's under pressure now. To do anything else would start shifting everything toward her. I say she lays low and does whatever she does surreptitiously. She might even go away for a while. If this woman has gotten away with murder again, she might let down her guard. I wouldn't assume that about her, Kel, said Mary Ellen, finishing the bagel. I miss my husband, Kel. I miss my kids. Then go see your kids. Spend what's left of the summer with them. Let me handle the investigation back here. Plus, I don't want you at risk, Mary Ellen. I thought you said she might leave for a while. I did, but I've listened to you, too. You can't assume anything about her. I say we book you on a flight to the Berkshires. Mary Ellen grinned for the first time in four days. Cal, the Berkshires don't have an airport. The Berkshires are hills or mountains, depending on your perspective. In Massachusetts, I'd fly to Hartford, then I'd take the bus up to Northampton, where Kathleen will pick me up. Good. Can't say it's great staying here right now. Well, that's the right decision. In the meantime, I'll start scouting around for car ramps and ladders. Where's that second ladder now? Oh, yes, the present whereabouts of said ladder. He pinched his chin and removed his reading glasses. I think the safest place to dump that ladder would be in the ocean, when nobody saw you dump it. Mary Ellen nodded, but her mind was back with the kids in Massachusetts. Then it's a lost cause. No, I think it was right in the bay near the beach house. She would have wanted to get rid of that thing right away. Why take it anywhere else when you can simply dump it immediately? Then you think she went by boat. I don't know how she originally got that ladder to the beach house, but she probably carried it up the beach in the dead of night and stashed it in the bushes. You know how thick those bushes are. She switches the ladders twice. Before and after she killed Tony. I doubt she deep-sixed the new ladder in daylight. Too risky. I agree. So she comes back later in the night, while I'm in Pennsylvania, and she sinks the ladder. Maybe. Kel looked out the window as he thought, and nibbled on the end piece of his glasses. Well, she'd have to bring a boat around for that one. Does she even own a boat? asked Mary Ellen. She told me when I was at Barnacle Bill's that she went sailing that afternoon, but the chances of finding a ladder over many square miles of the bay is slim to none. 
I have to prove that she bought an Aberdeen ladder. Chapter 19 Kell's greatest accomplishment was getting Mary Ellen safely on the plane and off to Massachusetts. He watched the aircraft bank over the bay and trek north to Newark for the connecting flight to Hartford. She insisted that he stay at the beach house, but he wondered how much time he would actually spend there while he searched for the ladder. The plane disappeared out of sight into the gray sky as he started back to the Escalade. Across the field, behind the plastic retaining fence, he spotted an orange blotch within the pine cluster, but he kept walking toward Mary Ellen's car. It was possible that the Mustang was parked out there and that Sue Lee was observing him through binoculars. Yesterday, Mary Ellen had compared it all to a chess game. As he opened the driver's door and slid into the front seat, he wondered about Sue Lee's next move. Would she leave as he anticipated, or would she merely go about her business in Binghamton Beach? He gazed to the rearview mirror as he quickly drove away from the airfield. The woods were too far away across the high grass to see the car or a Sue Lee, but he sensed she was there. He continued down the dirt road and out the airfield entrance. Now what would she do? The telephone poles that lined the field sounded like a fly swatter being swiped through the air as he passed. He stopped at the end of the service road and headed up a narrow corridor to Main Street. The brick building housing Bradbury's hardware was directly ahead, and the lawnmowers were lined up perfectly on the sidewalk. The Escalade bounced over the half-paved road as he swung onto Main Street and parked at a metered space across the street. After depositing a quarter, he faced the connector road and gazed back to the airfield. A pickup truck passed on the outer road as he crossed onto Main Street. The blonde-haired Ronnie was outside, standing next to the grass seed bags. He held a clipboard with computer sheets and checked off items on a paper as Kel stepped onto the sidewalk. Hey there, Kel. Ronnie, big sale. As a matter of fact, grass seed is going on sale. September is a good time to be planting seed. Do tell, said Kel. Heard the latest at Hazleton. Yep, shots right up through the sliders. I'm glad I was there. He put his hands on his hips and looked back to the airport. Scary business. Who the hell would want to do that? Asked Ronnie. Well, the cops are clueless. <laughs> what else is new? No offense, I know you were a cop when you were on Long Island. No, I was at Buffalo. Oh, yeah. Listen, Ronnie, you carry Aberdeen ladders? Yeah, and I know Tony Fresco was using an Aberdeen. They ain't gonna sue us, are they? Cal shook his head. Oh, no, no. That's a damn good ladder. I sold it to Tony last spring. He wanted a 40-footer to reach the high peaks. I told him he should have somebody paint it for him. Being up that high is risky. And look what happened. He didn't listen, did he? Asked Cal. Nope. You fall 40 feet and you're all done. Guess his neck broke and he was killed instantly. Holding the clipboard, Ronnie crossed his arms. What's Mary Ellen going to do now? Unknown. Nice girl. Good kids. Wish he had been more careful. Me too, said Kel. Ronnie, need to ask you something. you got to keep your mouth shut and don't ask any questions. Okie dokie. He looked up from the computer sheet as if he had already anticipated the next question. What do you want to know? Who else bought those ladders lately? Why? Don't ask any questions, remember? Ronnie swallowed. Well... I've sold four ladders this month. To whom? 
Two went to Henry Langdon. He's a local painter. Guy I wanted Tony to use for his house. Another guy north of town. I saw him out there this morning. David Guernsey or Gurney? Bought it yesterday. And let's see. I know I sold four. Kel wanted him to blurt out Sue Lee's name. One more? Oh, yeah. The local telephone guy. I told him you can't be using an aluminum ladder on poles, but he wouldn't listen to me either. He'll probably get juiced. That's it? Nobody else this summer? Nope. And Tony bought that ladder last spring. Kel exhaled and folded his arms. The telephone guy, uh, did he actually use the ladder? Yeah. The moron was out there this morning at, at Doris Wilson's house. Kel was about to step off the sidewalk, but he was still reluctant to mention Sue Lee. Sue Lee, did she ever shop in here? What do you think, she had something to do with the accident? Thought I told you, no questions. No, she never comes in here. She did, I'd personally wait on her, though. She's still one hot... Well, that's very true there, Ronnie, old boy. He patted Ronnie on the shoulder. Thanks for your info, and uh, keep your mouth shut, please. What about the other stores that sell Aberdeens? You want to know about them? Do you have a list? Mental list? I need to know my competition. I can write them up for you. Great. Please do. Ronnie flipped over one of the computer sheets and scratched out a list of six hardware stores. I know Aberdeens are all over the blippin' country, but my competition is less than 15 miles. See, I could sell more ladders, but I want to make money. You don't make money, you got no cash flow. No cash flow, you're out. True, how true. Ronnie handed the list to him. Kel recognized a paint store along the state highway, but he was unsure about the other places. Ronnie had written the addresses below. Well, this is great, Ron, thanks. I won't ask any questions, and the mouth is sealed until you say otherwise. Thanks. Kel shook his hand and turned. The road was clear to the airfield. He stared at Ronnie's list as he crossed Main Street, thinking she was just too bright to purchase the ladder near Binghamton Beach. But he had to check out the other stores. Kel locked the Fresco's beach house front foyer door and turned toward the kitchen. The glass company had fully replaced the shattered slider glass and the floor was swept clean. As per his request and as a part of the investigation, the coffee table and the bullet were presently at the county lab but he was not overly optimistic that identification of the round would help him at all, even if in the future he was able to match Latrobe's bullet to the same weapon, retrieving the weapon from the elusive Sue Lee would prove difficult or impossible. He clicked the overhead table light and headed to the refrigerator. With his hand firmly wrapped around a chilled beer can, he pulled out a seat at the long pine table and popped the tab. Traveling to Ronnie's competition proved tedious and futile. No one had seen Sue Lee, and most of the clerks were not as congenial as Ronnie. He let the beer linger in his mouth until it warmed and drained down his throat. He was certain as he gazed out at the moon over the bay, Sue Lee had purchased an Aberdeen ladder somewhere. He crossed to the sliders and ran his fingers along the glass glazing. No doubt she would have killed Mary Ellen if he had opted to stay in his trailer. A few leftover pieces of glass crunched in the track, and he thrust open the screen door. He gripped the beer can and inhaled the salty night air. The breeze caught his face. Like a computer tracking down a file, he retrieved everything about Sue Lee in his head and any relevance to the four murders. 
The moon produced a sparkling display hundreds of yards offshore. He could not help thinking that the latter lay submerged under the bay. Someone at Barnacle Bills might have information, and perhaps the neighbors back at the condo saw her with the ladders. Trying to formulate witnesses and summaries could take time, and he was losing time. Sue Lee would not tolerate him exploring her murderous trail. Kel sat in the dew-laden vinyl chair and placed the beer can on the patio table. He leaned back and followed the Milky Way. Although he didn't see the osprey, he wondered if the bird left its nest at night. He pulled the adjacent chair closer with his feet and then propped up his tired legs. Finding the ladder meant getting inside Sue Lee's head, and by hitting all the local stores, he was again thinking from a logical perspective. Nothing was logical about Sue Lee except what made sense to her. A tiny satellite moved steadily across the pin-dot stars. For a few seconds he had trouble following it, but caught it in the corner of his eye. He felt a deep relaxation descending over his body, and he struggled to keep his eyes open. The phone ringing in the kitchen rattled him. He dropped his feet on the ground and jogged across the patio blocks. Hello? 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 Maybe she didn't know Mary Ellen had left for Massachusetts. He stared at the yellow wall phone and moved outside again. With his hands in his pockets, he paced the patio as his hostility towards Sue Lee intensified. He would not tolerate being harassed and was determined to make her pay for what she had done to four men. Kell awakened from a nightmare with fear he had not felt since he was avoiding bullets in jungle combat. He leaped from the patio lounger and sprinted forward. The moon was back over the house by now as he hiked back the beach trail and through the scrub brush. In his dream, he was a tiny man smaller than an insect, and the orange Mustang loomed like a hundred-story skyscraper over a city sidewalk. His heart caught up with his thoughts as he stepped onto the cold sand. In the quietude, the breakers rolled in offshore, and a few aberrant dabs of moonlight caught the waters. In the dream, the behemoth car had chased him down the highway, and a prodigious dark rubber tire tread had occluded the sunlight. He was nearly crushed, and then he awoke. He trudged up to the ocean's edge and took in the dank air. The dream was something he must have filed away in his brain. But something stood out. The rear, chrome-mounted dealership plate had reflected sunlight into his eyes when the car first backed up. Cross Brothers. Where the hell is Cross Brothers? In Maryland? The phone rang 200 feet back in the house. He chided himself for not taking it off the hook. But then he was incensed enough to spin in the sand and start up the trail. The ring grew louder as he passed the little bushes where he figured the ladder was initially stashed. The ringing gyrated in his ears as he looked into the darkened house, lit only by the yellow digits from the microwave oven. He ripped open the screen and tried to control his breathing as he yanked the phone off the wall. Mary Ellen! Sorry, I couldn't sleep. She hasn't tried anything, has she? Everything is A-OK -okay here. He took off the cap and wiped the sweat from his bushy brows and temples. How are the kids? The whole thing is a mess. Shane keeps thinking she's going to see her dad again. They're all wondering where Eloise went. Oh, God, this is so awful. No, I'm going to find out where that little bitch lived before she came to Binghamton Beach. How? The car. I had forgotten. 
Cross Brothers, somewhere in Maryland. He raised his finger in the darkness as he looked across the bay waters. It's just a hunch, Mary Ellen, but I wonder if she bought that ladder back where she used to live. No, no, she's too clever. Is she? This whole thing is compulsive. She was ditched by Latrobe and killed him. Maybe she bought a gun at that same place. She bought the ladder and the car ramps in her hometown. You don't know that, Kel. No, I don't. I won't know anything unless I check it out. I can't just sit here waiting for the bullet to be compared. She'd kill me by then. Well, I'm glad I left Binghamton Beach. And if you're driving up to Maryland, I'm glad you're out of there, too. I'll second that, because I just don't know what the hell she's going to do next. Listen, I know this therapist. You saw a therapist? Asked Mary Ellen. No. The guy we used in a lot of cases. Whenever you get back, I'll give you his number, and I want the kids to have the best help. Hey, I'm not complaining. I get to be a cop again. And score the big one, and score the big one. Chapter 20 Kel drove the Escalade steadily along the interstate and thought about how the congenial sales manager back at the dealership had honored his request to track down Cross Brothers. As he waited, Kel talked with some of the locals getting their cars repaired. He watched TV on the overhead monitor and went through three cups of soured coffee lightened with an artificial powdered cream. Around noon, the sales manager walked in from the front showroom. With a large grin on his face, he seemed quite proud of himself when he announced that Cross Brothers was located in the Maryland town of Haydenville. Within minutes, Cal was back in the car and speeding out of town. He was not quite sure what he would find when he reached Haydenville. The little village, three hours from Binghamton Beach and near West Virginia, was hardly a scratch on his regional map. He assumed she used the maroon van to transport the ladder, either on top or disassembled in two pieces inside. Where and how she did the damage to the ladder was less certain. The condo provided no space for mechanical work, nor would she risk being seen sabotaging the ladder. The Escalade easily cruised over the long mountain stretches. Only a few cars and an occasional monster truck passed him along the hillside, through the uninhabited forested hills, he gained an intuitive sense of how Su Lee would desire the more exciting life along the beach. Small-town naivete often led to expectations of a glamorous future at some distant point of demarcation. The town was cradled naturally in the hills. A few smokestacks jutted upward across the valley, and a winding river cut through the eroded cliffs south of the main town. The outer developments became forest again, only a few miles to the north. He signaled and smiled when he saw a McDonald's at the off-ramp. Cross Brothers was located diagonally from the off-ramp stop sign. But Kel was not looking to prove that Sue Lee bought the Mustang at that dealership. The Escalade crawled along the hillside street, bordered with brick houses and asphalt-shingled storefronts. He scanned the cracked sidewalks and the vacant lots. At the corner traffic light atop the hill was a good-sized hardware store. Municipal hardware was emblazoned in the sun-drenched white letters on an aqua border. Kel slowed and stopped at the bright red traffic light. He peered into the store's wide window span. Rows of faded wallpaper bins bordered an assortment of Venetian blinds, and shelves housed rows of assorted paint cans. The light changed to green and he veered left. More shelves, pale green, covered a portion of the window down from the entrance to a small parking lot. 
He rumbled into the lot and peered around the building's yellow bricks at a long row of ladders stacked against the building. He recognized the orange Scottish sticker on the side, but he still had no proof that Sue Lee bought a ladder here. He parked in the lot behind the main building and walked cautiously to the gate. A few guys on the dock loaded feed and grain bags into battered pickup trucks. He stared at the ladders, varying in size from 15 feet to the larger 40-footer owned by Tony Fresco. Sue Lee could feel safe here in the world away from Binghamton Beach. Can I help you? Asked a man about his age and the hardware store name stamped on his blue striped uniform. A couple of days of gray stubble coated his wrinkled face. Yeah, can you take those ladders apart to transport them? Sure. Why the hell would you want to do that? Kel realized his mistake and smiled. Oh, don't mind me. I'm not mechanically minded. The man rolled his brown eyes and tugged on his suspenders. Then why do you want a ladder? I don't. Just just this question. I have another question. Yeah, I figured you would. Sue Lee, do you know her? Hey, I only work here part-time. I didn't ask that. This is a small town. I'm from Buford Junction. I've worked here since I retired from the railroad. I don't know any guy named Sue Lee. Okay, thanks, said Kel as he headed toward the door near the next dock. He figured the guy was watching him as he climbed the dock stairs. Where are you from? The man called from the other lot. Kel turned. Buffalo. Yeah, I was there once. Kel nodded and walked to a massive plumbing section. Bins overhead were filled with copper connectors, joints, brass spigots, and copper and plastic tubing was hung on wide clips along the green wall. Several guys passed him as he squeezed into the aisle, leading up to the main portion of the store. Three new digital cast registers up front looked as if they had been beamed in from the future. The deep smell of paint opened his air passages as gallon cans vibrated on shakers under the counter. He wandered behind the wallpaper bins and passed oil cases stacked to a windowless automotive department along the main street side. The ramps were located somewhere in that department, but something scared him about this section and the whole store. Although Sue Lee was nowhere within a few hundred miles, Kel felt her presence. Maybe the gunshots and the phone calls had left him edgy, more edgy than he wanted to admit. He moved around the cases and looked at a wall of oil and air filters. Plastic-wrapped spark plugs hung on the pegboard wall above yellow antifreeze containers and the blue windshield washer. He neared additional cases of oil along the rear wall. Somebody entered the department. He spun around only to see a guy browsing amidst an assortment of light bulbs and car headlamps. His heart flew again as he cautioned himself against thinking that Sue Lee was around. He continued along the back wall, but stopped when he saw carjacks and yellow car ramps. Slowly he crept up and put his fingers on the smooth yellow paint. Weakening this gauge metal would require considerable skill and the proper tools. Whether she gave Tromley the original ramps or he bought them here was not clear. But these ramps matched the ramps in Mrs. Bates's cellar. With tension in his shoulders, he started up the main aisle again. Excuse me. He said to the red-haired woman behind the counter, Sir, I'm, uh, I'm looking for some information. Okay, I'll see what I can do, she said with a large smile. Sue Lee, you know her? Her smile dropped like a rock into the ocean. Why do you ask? That's not important. She used to live here, right? Well, it's been a while. 
Her father worked in the machine shop. He was very good. Machine shop? To still air? He asked, positioning his elbow on the smooth counter. It ain't there. Uh, Swam died a year ago. Smoked. One after another. He never learned English, but he was uh, mechanical. Knew French, though. Why are you asking about Sue Lee? She ever come back here? Yeah, she does. But the brother don't. The mother still alive? asked Kel. The woman looked him over, and he thought she might stop talking. The mother died after they came back from Korea. Su Lee comes back here a few times a year. She was here over the weekend. You're either a cop or a private investigator. Both. She was in here to buy a ladder, right? Right. Kel's knees weakened as his stomach jolted. The clerk leaned forward. What did she do? She was always such a nice girl. Is she in trouble? Kel was stuck on Su Lee buying the ladder. I don't think she's in trouble. I'm just doing a little background check for a client. Oh, good. I thought something was wrong. Well, how much trouble can you get into buying a ladder? She returned the smile. Well, I guess that's true. I can only say she was a good girl. Very smart. She ever go to college? No, I don't think she did. She went to the technical high school. Kel's mind filled with images of Sue Lee learning a number of mechanical skills during her time at school, but he wondered just how she had ruined the ladder and ramps. Where did she stay when she was back here? Swam's little house by the river is still there. Yes, she stayed there before because she used Zwam's uh, van to... His what? His van to haul off the ladder. Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, maroon van, said Kel. Inside, he was splitting apart. Right. Well, I guess she was very mechanically inclined like her father. She ever buy car ramps here? Don't know, she said as a woman with two kids and three rolls of wallpaper appeared at the other end of the counter. Whoops. Oh, ma'am, ma'am. He said as she started down the counter. One more thing. Where is Swam's house? North Street, by the Cursage River, just before the bridge. Name is still on the mailbox. Thanks. You've been very helpful. She waved and talked about pattern matches and wallpaper styles for this woman's kitchen. Kel had the proof he wanted about the latter, but maybe not enough for Hawkins to get off his rump and look into Tony's death. As he moved along the paint cans again, he realized he had to travel out to Zwam's house. Zwam, if he worked as an expert in a machine shop, would have left tools behind after he died. Kel was not sure how Su Lee wrecked the ladder or the ramp, but he was going to find out. Kel finds that Su Lee's father was very mechanical and had a machine shop that lends to his theory that someone tinkered with Tony's ladder. I will remind all listeners that the more persistent Kel and Mary Ellen are, it seems that Sue Lee is always one up on them with her cleverness. Being alone in that house on the beach or at the isolated Bates Motel certainly has its downsides. In the words of the Cowardly Lion, upon marching down the corridor to the Wizard of Oz, wake me when it's over. Well, it ain't over till it's over, and Sue Lee seems to be a genius with her machinations and deception. I'm Robert P. Fitton, and I'll talk to you next time on Fitton on the Air. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com.
or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.